to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. a month since I've been able to sit here and or stand here and preach to you. So uh, please ap- I apologize. I'm going to have to sit, but I'm not able to stand for very long, as you can tell. But we're going to go ahead and just share the word, and hopefully you guys will be able to join with me. That's all this goes. Let's see. Ouch. Right. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, there we go. Well, the title of this, we're going to be going back to First Peter chapter 4. So take your Bibles and turn to it. Some of it will be here on the screen. But we're going to go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. Like I said, it's been about a month or so since we've been into it. So I'm excited. That's the longest time I think I've ever been without preaching. And in uh, 15 years or 12 years I've been here. Uh, so I've been thankful for, for those that have come in and filled the pulpit. And I hope you've enjoyed them and let them know how much you have. But prepare to battle. Prepare for battle is the topic that we have today as Peter goes done. I want to do just a minute of review since it's been a while since we've been in 1 Peter. Is Christians are called to a life of suffering. You and I need to understand that. And so many times we have this Joel Olstein, Oprah type thought of life that once you get saved, life is just great. It's a bed of roses. God has saved you so everything will be perfect. And then you accept Christ and all of a sudden you see that, wow. I think life actually becomes tougher when you become a Christian. It becomes more difficult. Things are not as easy as you once thought. That's the problem. So many times people are trying to add Christ to the solution. You know, they they think he's like something like you just pour in, you mix in and you just pour, just add you, whatever problem you're having, you want your marriage restored, you're, you're having a financial problem, well, just add Jesus. He's just another thing that you can add. Yoga, maybe some gluten-free food, and maybe a few vitamins, and add Jesus in there. Well, no, Christian life is a life of suffering. We are called to a life of suffering, and many of you know that much more than many of the rest of us. We suffer in salvation, we suffer in our sanctification, we suffer through submission and service. That's what we've been looking at at First Peter. But the message of 1 Peter is simply this, how to handle suffering as a Christian. Not avoid it, not try to deny it, not try to bite it back, but how to handle it as a Christian. You see, the answer Peter writes, the way that a Christian handles suffering is different from the world. Because the way that a Christian handles suffering is hope. God gives us hope in the midst of suffering. And that is what so many people are looking for. However, they're looking for hope in the wrong things. For some, it's going to be drugs or alcohol. Some type of thing that leads to addiction. They, they just need some way to cope. Some way to deal with the suffering and the pain in their life. So they take on things saying, well, this will give me hope. Some, it's pleasure experiments. Some, it's friends. It's social media. It's working themselves to a frenzy to, to, to escape into fantasy. So many things. But what a Christian has is true hope. God gives us hope in the midst of suffering. One teacher writes that 1 Peter instructs, instructs us excuse me, that God's people are a misunderstood minority that is living under a different king rather than Caesar 
And that persecution offers believers a chance to show others, and this is so important, the generous love of Jesus. Let me ask you, whatever suffering that you're suffering going through right now, and some of you are going through some very difficult, painful things, or maybe in the past, have you ever considered that in the midst of that suffering, that God's goal is for you to show the generous love of Jesus? Probably not. Typically, when we're, when we're going through suffering, we're not thinking about anyone else. When we're going through pain and difficulties and persecutions or trials in life, we're usually not thinking about the generous love of Jesus. We're thinking, why is God doing this to me? The psalmist, as we saw these last few weeks, does that many times. David himself, the man after God's own heart says, God, why are you doing this? Job himself says, what have I done? I'm, I'm blameless. Why is he touching me? Why is God or touching me with, with difficulties, or why has he withheld his hand? And many times, if we're honest, that's how many of us feel during those times. But really, what First Peter has been telling us is that suffering actually gives us the reason or the purpose, the opportunity to share the generous love of Jesus with those within the faith and those outside. Peter has been spending some time encouraging and challenging the elect exiles and how to respond to suffering. And he opened his letter by reminding them of the wonderful great mercy of God and salvation. Remember that? Oh, what a wonderful passage. I love teaching that. That results in a promised inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for the, uh, us. Knowing that this world is not their home, but is temporary, they were exhorted. These first century Christians in Asia Minor were exhorted, encouraged to rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter explained that these various trials would actually test the genuineness of their faith. And we learn that's what suffering, that's what it does to us. It's to test the genuineness of our faith. It's to, to rejoice during those times. Now, over these last few chapters, we've been unpacking that theme, those themes. And as elect exiles ourselves, they were to live differently than the world as we are. Peter reminded those first century Christians that they were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Chosen that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. They were to keep in mind during that time that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now you and I, as they were, have now received God's mercy. Again, this response to suffering serves many, serves many times to proclaim the excellencies of God. This is one of the means of grace that the Holy Spirit uses to open the eyes of those that have been blinded by Satan and in this world that they may taste and see how good God is. Now that seems counterintuitive. That seems counterculture. How in the world can my suffering, my trials, my struggle, how in the world can that proclaim the excellencies of God? If anything, I would say that would show man how bad my God is. But yet, Scripture teaches, no, that's not necessarily true. Dustin shared with us in our last passage of 1 Peter chapter 4, there at the end of that chapter before we took a break. Dustin had said, because we trust in the resurrection of Christ, 
We are able to endure suffering while following the commands of Christ our King. That's how we do it. Because we endure and submit and rejoice in suffering, responding to it differently than the world. And that will bring an attention to how in the world do you respond that way? In today's passage, Peter calls them to battle, encouraging them that in light of the triumphant sufferings and death of Christ, we should willingly pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him into that suffering. So let's read that passage. Jesus tells us to prepare for battle. Not only are we to rejoice, but you and I are to delve headfirst into the suffering that God is going to bring us into. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1-6, through 6, you can follow in the, in, in the scriptures that you might have, or you can follow on, on, on the monitors as well. Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer, for human passions, but for the will of God. For the, time that, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the spirit the way God does. So Father, give us your wisdom. This is a lot to unpack. We thank you for this letter of 1 Peter. Thank you for Peter's desire and willingness to submit to you. Father, he suffered martyrdom for your sake. As probably many who, who read this letter, the original readers. And Father, as it encouraged them, let us encourage us. As the commands come to arm ourselves, Father, may we search our hearts to see if we have done the same. Strengthen us for this. Let us not be distracted. Let us not quench the spirit. But Father, I pray that our hearts will respond to the Holy Spirit's work this morning. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Peter has been calling these first century Christians to prepare to suffer. Dustin again ended his message several weeks ago paraphrasing Peter's exhortation as, while you're here on this earth, do not fear any persecution or any suffering. Instead, follow God's will no matter the cost. This is the better way. Do not give up. Do not give in. This is the better, better path, even though it will include suffering. So in other words, embrace the suffering that comes in your life. The question is, is how do you and I do this? I don't know about you, but when I face suffering, when I suffered bad times in my life, when things have got me down, the last thing I want to do is embrace it. Man, I want to avoid it. I, I want to run from it. I want to... Uh, and when I want to battle it, it's more or less trying to just get rid of it. It doesn't mean embracing. How do I rejoice in these things? Some of you are facing some things right now that I couldn't even imagine. I think of Tina and waiting for surgery and just waiting for healing. I mean, her time may be short. We don't know. Think of Barbara Allen who took a fall. I mean, she's dealing with one issue and getting ready to have surgery, but her heart isn't strong enough to have the surgery for, to have the recovery that she needs. And in the meantime, waiting for that, she falls and breaks her shoulder. 
How do you deal? I mean, I've even had a pity party myself for just the little thing that I had to go through. And it was elective. And some of you are struggling economically. You're living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe even not even paycheck to paycheck. You're just living on payday loans. And you're wondering how you're going to do it. Or maybe you're struggling. Your marriage is just difficult. You've got issues with the kids. Or maybe it's just something going on in your family. Many of you have so many things, I couldn't even imagine them all. But he tells us to embrace it. To recognize that these are not things that God is just watching. But these are things that God has purposely brought into your life to test the genuineness of your faith. That you may proclaim him and that those around you will have the glory of God be displayed in your life. How do we do this? The answer is simple. It's sanctification. God's working and making us more like Christ. You may ask, well, what in the world is sanctification? I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. Well, if you look on your screen, I want to give you a definition. Theologian Wayne Grumman rightly defines sanctification as a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Look at it again. It's a progressive work. It's not a completed work at salvation. It's not something that's done already, but it's progressive. It's something that is working in our lives. And it goes bigger or grows more each and every day. Now, the thing that you and I have to look, remember, is that some of us progress at a different way. Just as some of us grow taller than others at faster times or slower at other times, it's progressive. We will all grow differently in our Christian walk at a different rate than others. So many times we we judge ourselves. So why am I not growing like them? Why don't I have the faith like them? Why can't I read the Bible like them? Why, Why can't I have trust in God like them? Well, God's work is different in your life. It's progressive. But look, it's a progressive work of God and man. It's, it's, a, it's a work that we do together that makes us more and more free from sin, which we all desire. And I pray that you do. And makes us more like Christ in our actual lives. Sanctification means to be set apart, consecrated for a special purpose. Israel itself was a nation set apart from other nations. God bestowed his love and law on them that the other nations may see them and glorify God. They would respond and be different than the rest of the nations. In the New Testament, when you hear the word sanctification or to sanctify, it usually refers to this progressive work of growth of holiness in the lives of Christians. Paul tells the Thessalonians that the will of God is our sanctification, that we would become freer from sin and more like Christ. Our calling, our election was to be sanctified, to be set apart from the world. Paul informs the believers in the church of Corinth that we are united with those that have been sanctified in Christ through Christ for all of eternity. That means that in calling us, in saving us, that is actually meant to accomplish something within us. Here's something that's very important. You need to understand this. Salvation is more than just a get out of hell free card. It's more than just fire insurance. It's not something you say, the sinner's prayer, Lord, save me, forgive me, give me a new heart. So now I can live my life any way I want. And now I know I won't get to hell. Unfortunately, too many people believe salvation is exactly that. 
and they pull it out whenever they need it. But it's more than that. Salvation actually accomplishes something real in our lives. It frees us from sin. It makes us more like Christ. We are new creatures. We're different from who we were before. So as we go into this, it's very important for us to understand this. Here's the point. You and I must recognize that we have been called out and chosen by God and dispersed around this world that we may be salt and light to the world around us. There's something to be different about you and I. One of the ways, and one of the ways that God sets apart and makes us different is how we respond to suffering. Yes, it is the Great Commission. It's the going out and telling people. It's, the, it's the, 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 the sharing of the gospel. But one of the ways that you and I share the gospel is how we respond to suffering. Our sanctification comes through that suffering, through that crucible, through that sandpapering of the edges of our lives, suffering in fighting sin, dealing with ridicule, enduring persecution. So I want to set it up. That's what Peter is saying here, is you're to be different from the world. And one of the ways that God is going to do that is how you respond to the suffering, the mundane or the the difficulties of life. Now, there's four observations from this passage for those of you who like to take notes. There's four observations that I want to point out in this uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 6. The first one is believers have a new motivation in life. You and I have a new motivation of life. If you have your Bibles, look again, 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at the first two verses. Peter writes, since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh. Now that's going back to what Dustin took us through. Arm yourselves, since because of that, now arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. If you have your Bibles and you have a pen, can you underline that phrase or highlight it, whatever you may use? That's an important part of Scripture. He says, you need to arm yourselves with the very same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, talking about our lives as we live here on earth, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, the Apostle Paul describes believers as those who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds towards God. But he also says, but now we've been reconciled in the body of Christ by his death in order that he may present us holy and blameless above reproach. Paul also wrote to the Galatians that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul reminds his protege Titus that we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days away in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, frankly states that our passions are at war within us. We need to understand who we were before and what we're bringing into this Christian life. For in our old nature, you and I rejected God and all that he is. We proclaimed ourselves God and we spent our times in futile pursuits. Scripture tells us that God in his love, he called us out of that blindness and that sin-saturated desires and he gave us a new heart with new desires and a new passion to serve God with all of our heart, our mind, and our strength. Amen? Praise God. That's what he's given us. And I want to give you encouragement today because there may be some of you that say, I understand, but that I don't see that happening in my life. 
I don't see myself loving God any more today than I did yesterday or three months ago. I don't see myself freer from sin. I don't see myself more like Christ. <clears throat> well, let me encourage you. If you would, to, to take your Bible quickly and look at Philippians 1.6. Mark that down. For it says, be confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We may not be complete work in here in this day. But when we're glorified, and we talked about that in adult Sunday school, is that day will come when he makes us his child and we're in heaven with him. Let me tell you, your progress may be slower. And I don't know, maybe sometimes your days are like mine, where it seems like I'm two steps forward and a step back. Two steps forward and a step back. And then all of a sudden it sounds like I'm in sinking ground. You ever feel like that? But that's the Christian life. But never doubt who God is. From chapter 4, Peter taught that the suffering of Christ was the pathway to his victory and exaltation. And this is the pattern for Christians. Our suffering, our ceasing from sin will also be the way that God exalts us. We should resolve to follow the example of Christ. Here, Peter commands that we need to arm ourselves with the thought or thinking of the need to suffer. Now, Peter here is using military language in describing our mindset. Bring your arms, bared arms. In other words, he's, he's talking about weapons. He says you need to arm yourselves, get weapons, prepare yourselves. We need to prepare both our minds and our bodies for suffering. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would, please, with me. You and I are called to have the mind of Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 12, a very familiar and famous passage of scripture, the writer of Hebrews writes and encourages us that since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, speaking about all those Old Testament heroes of the faith and the New Testament heroes of faith that gave their lives, and you and I can now go through 2,000 years of those who have suffered and died for Christ. He says, because of them, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. He's speaking of Christians. The writer knows that you and I still have sins that cling closely. Don't you have one right now? Don't you have something that you just wish that God would just take away from you? Maybe it's a thought life. Maybe it's a bad attitude. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's bad just financial thoughts, processes. Maybe it's who knows what it may be. I know I have mine. And you just say, oh, I can't wait till glorification when God delivers us from the presence of sin. That's why I say, come Lord quickly. I'm tired of fighting it. But he says we need to lay that away, lay, lay that aside. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look at verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Are you weary? Are you faint-hearted? Christian, I understand. I know it's difficult, but arm yourself, prepare yourself, knowing that each day is a battle. I have to tell you, and I've shared this before, each day, the first words that come out of my mouth is, Lord, lead me not in temptation and deliver me from evil. 
And when I find myself struggling, Lord, lead me not in temptation. Deliver me from evil. Help me. I know that I'm going to face it. As soon as I open my eyes, I start to know that I'm going to start fighting sin and struggling with temptation. I know that there are times I'm going to be angry. There's going to be times I'm going to be short with someone. There's going to be times that I'm just going to be all about Rob. Lord, you got to help me. you got to help me with this struggle. For he says in verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. I recognize that many times I fight sin to this point and then I give in. My prayer is, Lord, help me get to this point. Lord, help me get to this point. Lord, help me get further. Now my prayer is still the same. I pray the prayer of Paul. Lord, take this thorn of flesh away from me. But many times God echoes the same thing. My grace is sufficient. You need this in your life. What prevents this? What prevents you and I from being armed, from preparing our minds and hearts? Why so many times do we fall in the old habits and the old ways of thinking and the old ways of living? Why do we need to be armed and prepared? Mainly it's because when you and I suffer or when you and I face temptation, we tend to insulate ourselves or to curl up in a ball like, a, like almost like wounded animals. We find a place to hide. We stop coming to church. We avoid community and sharing our needs and our pride is hurt and we have a party pity, a pity party of one. Or some may turn to complaining or blaming God or others for their predicament or the consequences of their own sin. However, Scripture informs us to respond to suffering as good soldiers of Christ, serving our commander with joy and worship, giving praise that we may suffer for his sake. That's why the Lord, Jesus, it says, for the joy that was set before him. Do you see that this suffering has a joy? You need to endure it because as you come out of it, it tests the genuineness of your faith. You and I need a new attitude, a new way of thinking that prevents us from accepting and enduring suffering with joy. Discipline and grit is needed in the Christian life. You and I must remember that Christ suffered in the flesh, both in his mind and body, physical torture and with rejection and ridicule. Scripture tells us in Luke 6.40 that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And you and I are disciples of Christ. If Christ suffered, so much more will you. We're like our master. Now Christ's suffering was distinct. It, It brought atonement, but it gives us a pattern and inspiration to imitate. So today, whatever it is that you're suffering through, face it with joy, praising God. We ought to arm ourselves and say, yeah, bring it on. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. What can man do to me? Take my life. You cannot take my soul. That doesn't mean that you just go head end into temptation and suffering, doing stupid, sinful things. But we recognize that it has a part and play in the Christian life. In verse 1b, that second part of verse 1, 
when Peter writes, who has suffered in flesh has ceased from sin, that's not talking about sinless perfection, but a commitment to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow Christ. You and I need to recognize that we should be freer from sin. Let me tell you, you should be freer from sin than you were when you were first saved, than you were two years ago, six months ago. Now, it may seem slow, but that's the goal. That's the purpose. That's what we should be preparing ourselves to be. We count ourselves dead to sin. Paul wrote to the Roman church that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And you and I need to recognize that so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. But too many of us are living our lives like we're still got a ball and chain. And I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm talking about the ball and chain of sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Some of you haven't gotten your emancipation uh, uh, papers. You've been emancipated. You are free from sin. That sin now is a choice that you make. Dr. Thomas Schreiner notes that the commitment to suffer reveals a passion for a new way of life. A life that is not yet perfect, but remarkably different from the lives of believers. And this is where I'm concerned as your pastor, that your lives may not be remarkably different from those that do not know Christ. We no longer live to fulfill our fleshly desires as we did before. We have new dreams, new aspirations, new purpose. And I want you to take a moment here to consider yourself Are your desires and dreams and aspirations the same as the world? Do you desire the same things? Do you desire? Now, now we're not talking that some of the things are not bad. I want the best for my children, for my grandchildren. I want for them good jobs. I want for them to have a home. I want my my grandchild to grow up and enjoy the things of life. We want to think about retirement. But if those things uh, dominate our thinking, or think that it fulfills us, then we lost Matthew chapter 6, where we put ourselves at the throne room of God and we, we, and we put ourselves on what he supplies for us. There's so many ways. How do you spend your time, your energy, your money? If we did a, a, a look at all the ways, is it remarkably different than the world? You and I have a new reason to live. And that's for the will of God. Jesus modeled this thinking and commitment when he taught, taught his disciples to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That should be another prayer that you have. Father, let me, let me, let me, what's the word I want to look for? Let me approach life. Let me grab life the same way that you see it, that you approach it for your will, not mine. Instead of seeking our own way, we're to put all away those things that we pursued before. Peter writes in Ephesians that we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, speaking of Satan, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath. Take your Bibles quickly, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We spoke about it earlier. In Matthew chapter 6, excuse me, not sick. Matthew chapter 6. 
And look at verse 19. As I ask you, what dominates your thoughts, your energy, your time, and your money? Is it God or is it the fulfillment of your own passions? As I passed out a book last week, maybe, if, maybe more of us need to read it in just a minute, is don't waste your life. I feel too many Christians are wasting your life, me included. That's why I need to arm myself with a new way of thinking each day. Am I going to spend my energies, my time today for the things of God or for the things of this world? And I tell you what, I can pastor this church and still uh, uh, um, pursue my own passions and desires. And many churches and pastors do. We ourselves are not exempt. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, words of wisdom. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be what? Full of darkness. If the light is in you, if, the, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one, uh, excuse me, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Whatever your time on earth is, Christian, look at me. Live zealously. For God. Live zealously for God. Paul wrote to his disciples, or to his disciple Titus, that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And the writer of Hebrew tells us that the time is to be done in the context, or this is to be done in the context of community. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the draw draw, day drawn near. Let me tell you, we are not to be self-serving lone rangers in the Christian life. Sanctification does not happen in the quietness of your own devotion. Now that is part of it. It also happens in your marriage, but it happens in the context of community. As we provoke one another, as we challenge one another, as we help one another. You are not meant to suffer all alone. But again, what do we do? We, we go back to suffer. We curl up and hide ourselves. And I'll speak a little bit more about that next week. But I want to share with you this context of community is how we grow in sanctification. It's how we get the courage to respond to suffering as a good soldier of, soldier of Christ. It's one of the weapons that we arm ourselves. And now I find myself not preaching in over a month and finding myself with a lot more message to go, but our time near the end. And what I have next is very, very important because here, that as we go into cha- uh, verse 3, I really want to spend some more time. So what I'm going to do is we're going to end this message right here. So let me come bring this to to your attention. P. 
Peter is saying you need to prepare yourselves. You need to arm yourself. Christian, suffering is part of your life. You are called to embrace that suffering by preparing yourself so that you may respond with the joy and worship of God, knowing that it not only will strengthen your faith, but in that strengthening your faith, it may lead others to Christ. Now, I pray that you come next week and we'll finish the rest of this message. But as we look, prepare for battle. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.